Hello. Hello, Brandon. Yo, Tom. How are you? There's a 50 degree temperature difference between San Jose and Westchester currently. It is 108 outside as I record this podcast. Oh, that's brutal, dude. Tell me about it. So I'm coming to you from a different room tonight. I've been a bachelor for the past couple of days. I'm actually recording in my bedroom, or should I say the marital bedroom, as this is probably the darkest and coolest room in the house. However, if I just collapse and fall over, it will be strictly because of the heat. <laughs> Fair enough, man. It's so hot here, or it's so cold here. We have the um, the stoves on. What? And- <laughs> <laughs> it's raining. It's, yes. it's cold, man. I, I've put Westchester now in my my Apple weather app so I can track the temperatures in Westchester for that trip in November so we can yes. dress accordingly. Yes, awesome. Lots of turtlenecks, man. Oh, man. <laughs> I, don't, I haven't owned a turtleneck for years. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so we've got a bunch of topics. Our listeners put together a few topics I had a, a very special and unanticipated listener to this podcast through the week. Someone who actually it shocked me that they were listening in and giving any form of direct feedback. But my wife listened to the first 30 minutes of our last recording. Up until the point where I was talking about boogieing with a bunch of 17-year-old girls at a <laughs> dance, which at which point she turned off. However, she has done something very good for us. She has gone through the listener questions and picked out a top three. Oh, very nice. So we will get nice. to that in a minute. I wanted to shout out Rauri Daunton. Now, Rauri is a new listener. I went through our listener numbers this week, and it turns out, what was the number? It's something like out of 30 listeners, 29 of them will be in the US, and one will either be a Brit, a Canadian, or an Australian. And Rauri comes from the UK. He has a band called Atragon, spelled A-T-R-A-G-O-N, it's a uh, kind of darkish heavy metal sound, some Sabbath elements. The Death Weight of Unimportant Flesh was a favourite track of mine. I also want to send a shout out to Nice Guy Earl, who is our second iTunes review. Thank you very much for that review. Yes. That's awesome. Thank you. Yes. Number two. Hopefully more in the foreseeable future. So <laughs> let us get into Mrs. Barbelay's specially selected topic. Alexandel asks, I recently went to a barcade. And had a blast. However, wanted to know your thoughts. Is this a good direction for arcades to take? Or does playing for free lessen the experience? What are your thoughts here, Brandon? I think it's uh, any place with arcade games is good. Well, almost any place, I guess. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking of horrible places. But yeah, uh, I think it's good. There's there's actually one in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I've looked it up. Um, there, It's been a while since I looked, but their site had a list of all the games and whether or not the game was like being serviced. You know, so like if you came looking for one game, which I would, like I saw they had Punch Out. And this mm. was, it, I think it's actually called Barcade in, in Philly or something. Okay. Um, but uh yeah, it was actually, I was surprised. The place looked really like open, really mm. big and like a ton of games. I just mm. never, I never went down, but, um, yeah, I, th- I think it's, I think it's great. I don't know what, where arcade games or where arcades are headed or where they should be. I mean, but you know, if you have the right lighting that they, they look good anywhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> The addition of alcohol, I always thought, was an interesting dynamic. I mean, my only experience with this comes in casinos and various other places where games of chance are, are plenty. But, um, yeah, I always wondered that if you were being served alcohol while you were playing games, 
whether that would improve or worsen the experience. What's what's your view of alcohol and arcade games together? Yeah, it's it's funny because I think everyone that played arcade games, like I don't think there's people really playing arcade games much mm. anymore, unless you're like our age or uh-huh. you know relatively close. Certainly. So you've grown up with the arcade games, and now you can drink, but you still want to play those arcade games. I don't think there's like 14 year olds that want to go play uh, Gauntlet in the arcade. I don't unless. know. Maybe there are. You're, yes. They're missing out if they don't, but... Uh, <laughs> in terms know. of the skill aspect, though, I mean, is oh, the skill aspect... Does that play I, into it with alcohol? I think it can help you. I mean, Very of good. course it can hurt you, but I, th- <laughs> I think definitely you can. Your, your mind can open to new areas and you can uh, exceed your highest scores. I think Very it's possible. Good. Very <laughs> good. So, Max Sarsky asks, most loved and most hated Halloween candy? No. <laughs> Most hated is coins. When someone just throws coins in your oh. pillowcase, I can't stand. Well, yeah, chocolate coins been, or just regular coins? No, it's like they didn't get candy, so they just oh. throw you some coins, which is sort of like, oh. But if it had to be a candy, Necco wafers are f- filthy, dude. Mm. They're so foul, they taste like an old trunk, like a musty trunk. And my favorite would be, yeah, I like Milky Way, dude. Do you? Yeah, I like. Yeah, I like. It's Milky a favorite Way. of mine as well. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? What do you what um, do you hate? For me, like I like the aesthetic of the wax lips, but I hate the taste of the wax lips. Oh, dude, they're so gross. Yeah. I like the aesthetic, but the taste is just not there. And for me, it's it's a kind of candy in both the UK and the US. It's a completely different kind of candy. But I like Smarties. And I'm probably in a minority. I also like uh, what they call pixie sticks as well. Oh, like yeah. Sour things, basically. So sour and fizzy is always good. So Smarties are different? Yeah, Smarties are like uh, M&Ms in the UK, except they have a different texture. They have a glazed outer sugar coating, and the chocolate, the quality of the chocolate is different. So they're not like M&Ms. They're also slightly larger than a standard M&M. So that's a Smartie in the UK. And for folks who are listening who don't know what Smarties in the US are, they're, I don't know what they are, they're kind of fizzy... Soury sugar, little tiny little sugar pellet things, uh, and uh, yeah, I'm a fan of them. I also, secondarily, I like Milky Ways, and um, I don't know. You can't go past the. Now my mind has gone completely blank. Hmm. This is going to be an edit point, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the first effects of heat on this evening. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Black asks. I don't even know how I'll edit that together, but anyway, Mike Black asks. What was the one Christmas gift you always dreamt of as a child but never received? Uh, does anything come to mind right away? For me? or For, yeah, uh, for, for me? you, yeah. yeah. Um, Tammy a hotshot. In fact, really, I would have gone with a Hornet or even, like, the lower end, but I've always wanted to get a radio-controlled car for Christmas. My in-laws heard that and bought me some very strange Meccano thing, which wasn't a radio-controlled car once. But, yeah, I think maybe this year I might get myself some kind of radio-controlled vehicle. Our backyard is sufficiently big that if I took out various elements of the garden, I could make quite a comfortable, like, little arsey running track and get myself <laughs> mildly amused. So that's mine. What What is yours, Brandon? Um, it's probably... You know what? I always wanted the... Um the snow speeder from Star Wars, or oh. actually, you know what? Now that I say that, no, there was something I really wanted. It was the Tie Fighter, like yeah. the Darth Vader's Tie Fighter. Yes. I always, I never got that. I don't have it. I had like a mini, like diecast one, which was mm. awesome. But yeah, it would be, it would be that. Uh, oh man, that thing is so cool. <laughs> 
Now we're flipping it up. I'm going to do your topics next. So, oh, okay, okay. Brandon's topics, starting off with iOS games and why Tom isn't making any as we speak, or maybe he is. Yeah. Okay. So you, um, you know, you've mentioned Xcode quite mm-hmm. a few times mm-hmm. and given a. Uh, a description of what you know and obviously you can make <laughs> some so ios games there, there are a few parts to this thing the first part is that my day job is very real and part of that is working very closely with apple so because of the nature of my day job although netflix is one of the few companies that actually allows you to work on after hours projects uh, and i'm very thankful for that other certain companies uh, do not allow that. What's happened with games, particularly on iOS in the past three or four years, is really interesting. So historically, the stuff that I wrote was artificial intelligence and kind of game programming for artificial intelligence. Now, all this kind of stuff uses a lot of processing power and it makes iOS devices get hot. So what Apple has done recently is they've released a whole series of engines, both associated with graphics, but also associated with game AI, that runs very cool on iOS processors. Uh, it's called GameKit specifically, but there's a bunch of other sprite engines and stuff like that. This absolutely fascinates me. And what I've done is taken parts of that and tried to integrate it with my long-standing simulation, Noble 8, which also has games that come out of it, Noble Warfare and uh, The Mushroom Boy are the two games that I worked on with the Noble 8 core. So, yeah, I mean, it's a matter of time in one regard. It's also a matter of programming because programming is basically my day job, I do a bunch of other stuff at Netflix. Coming home in the evenings and doing more programming, sometimes I feel like it, but sometimes I'm just <laughs> exhausted and working. Yeah. So it's one of these things where it's also a different thing. I mean, if you actually talk to real game developers, like contemporary game developers, they have very different skill sets. So for me, I always had to work with an artist. I always had to have someone to do the graphics because I can kind of do some graphics to kind of mock things together but i'm not really a graphics person so it would require an engine which i kind of have in a few different areas plus working with an artist and i've done some top-down stuff particularly with aspects of noble ape and just putting in little png files for you know trees and animation and things like that but yeah for me now people that write games small companies that write games they're a very specific group of people and my skill set is more associated with the ai components so I still have a couple of games up my sleeve that I'm working on occasionally. And I think certainly there'll be iOS versions, but they'll be very different on the Mac or on the PC than they will be on iOS primarily because Apple has invested so much time in these kits, basically, so things don't run hot. If you play games on iOS, you can see the difference between the games that use Apple's game kit and the games that don't because the battery life and the device gets hot and a bunch of other things for the games that don't use Apple stuff. I think that's an answer to your question. Yeah, dude. I'd love to hear you talk about that. It's, <laughs> it's fascinating. Well, the thing uh, about it is increasingly it's easier for people to write games. It's easier for people just to enter the game space because you don't need to. I mean, historically, artificial intelligence in particular, like game AI, was just a really dark art. I own a number of books where they don't talk about AI at all. It was always like trade practice, secret stuff. And as someone who wrote this stuff, I mean, I started writing game AI when I was about 13. And it's not that difficult. It just, you know, you've just got to write it and play with it. And now Apple packages all that through GameKit. So it's just a lot easier for people to write really quite interesting, complex games with lots of agents, you know, fighting it out on battlefields and stuff like that. So 
expect yeah. a few good games in the future, maybe potentially even something that I write myself. But if I kick it all in, and if I go and live in a hunting lodge in West Virginia, I will certainly be writing games. Like, I think that's something that's so much part of my DNA that, you know, if the cost of living wasn't an issue and I could do anything with my time, I'd certainly write games. Yes, dude. I love it. Thank you for the answer. <laughs> that is awesome. I, yes, please do it. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yes. please ditch my day job <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and just get on with my life. Yes, very good. Okay. Very good. <laughs> yeah. And for all the fans at Netflix that listen into this, that was a joke. An unsolicited joke, but a joke. Anyway, autumn traditions, as I say, in 108 degree heat. Uh, and what is fall <laughs> like in California? Does it exist? So I, I raised this with my wife because she knows my traditions more than anyone. And she pointed out that historically... I've not been a big autumn traditions person. I mean, historically, she would go and spend Thanksgiving with her family, and I would catch up on a bunch of stuff that I needed to catch up on. But an important note, my wife and I, and you as well, share birthdays in fall, right? Right. So the birthday tradition is certainly something that's there. The way it works out is usually three days before my birthday, I decide we've just got to get out and go somewhere, and we usually disappear one of the best birthdays that i've had recently and i think i've mentioned this at a previous recording was when we went to a golf resort that had no one there like there was no human within 20 miles of us <laughs> and we were just on out on the golf course literally at night all you could hear were cicadas and there was no one there and that was just an absolutely wonderful place to spend my birthday but in general in california the weather changes typically sometime around when the light changes, so 31st of October around then, and it doesn't get really cold, but you know it's a different season because the light has changed more than anything. It tends to get really cold, well, it tends to get, <laughs> I don't know what really cold actually means in California, but it tends <laughs> to get colder in mid to late November, so anyway. Nice, nice. How about you? What are your autumnal traditions? <sighs> Raking a crap ton of leaves. Mm. Uh, <laughs> cleaning out gutters. No. Um, a lot of pumpkins and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, decorations and hay and hay rides and apple butter and <laughs> all these spicy things. But definitely uh, making a lot of pumpkin pies. I'll mm. make at least like six pumpkin pies before wow. autumn is over. So, yeah. And you know what? I tend to go just looking at Halloween stuff more. Um, mm -hmm. I, I love to see how the costumes change every year and like mm -hmm. what they're pushing. Um, there's a ton of like, I'm sure it's the same there, but there's a ton of uh, just like Halloween adventure stores that just pop up all over, you know, um, for like two months and then they're gone. But they're a great supplier of fake blood. <laughs> <laughs> Always good to have extra fake blood. We we have more need for real blood where we are. It's actually interesting. We used to live in a different part of town, actually a different <laughs> town in general, and um, they actually celebrated Halloween properly. We live in an area where my wife did some Christmas baking last year, and I went round to deliver the Christmas baked goods to our neighbours and also because I'm on a community board, I went round to the various board members' houses and dropped off cookies to them. Our neighbours our neighbors <laughs> wouldn't answer the door, so I had to leave the cookies, went away. Three minutes later, the cookies were gone. One of the board members had a male relation staying with her who nearly knocked my lights out. Like, I knocked at the door, he opened the door, nearly took a swing at me, and I had to explain very quickly that I wasn't there to rob him. I was there actually <laughs> to give him these baked treats and 
you know, and these kind of things. In fact, I was so stunned I called his relation who's on the board by the wrong name because I was just in a, you know, when you get confronted, I periodically get confronted. We talked about fistfights with people that want to have fistfights with me in this neighborhood. So, yeah, Halloween traditions here are not really that big. We do get occasional trick-or-treaters, but really I think it's generally considered a dangerous neighborhood to be going around knocking on strange doors. Anyway. Oh, dude, I want to do a test with you and uh, see. You had mentioned shoes will get stolen mm-hmm. if you leave them out front. Mm-hmm. I want to see which oh. brand of shoes get stolen faster. Well, here's what I did. Here's what I did very stupidly. When we first moved in, the real thing was package thieves. I've, I've got a few. The last set of shoes that were left out were my wife's shoes. They were stolen by a homeless woman at about, because we have video cameras everywhere, so we could see the shoes getting stolen. They'd been rained on, so they were wet. The homeless woman came to our door at about 1.30am and took the shoes. But my favourite was, with the packages being stolen, I wanted to work out how long a package would last on our doorstep before it would get stolen. And the answer was an (laughs) hour and a half. (laughs) And the guys wore masks. So the guys walked past, it was in the evening... One of them wrapped his face with a cloth and the other one put on a mask and they came and one of them was a sentry and the other one ran up and got the package and ran back. So the answer is an hour and a half in our area. And yeah, this is where we live. Anyway. And do they, they usually take them at night? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> this started, actually. The whole reason we have cameras up is we used to have a tenant in the back or a couple of tenants in the back because we've got a house in the back. And one day... There was a guy basically waiting for the UPS truck to come, and he was waiting for the UPS truck to come specifically to steal stuff. And he then went up maybe three blocks into a house, changed, and came out again without the package. Now, I know this because my tenant followed him up, actually chased him up, and waited for him to come out of the house. Even with this information, the police wouldn't do anything. Like, as I've, I've probably told you this, but the police captain, the former police captain, when he came here, to talk about a shooting, a series of shootings, said, don't bother calling 911 unless you're being killed because we're not going to come. And that's just the nature of police in our part of the world. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Interestingly <laughs> enough, the new police captain who hugged me has my telephone number and is going to call me at some time in the future. So I share my numbers with attractive men that hug me on a regular basis. Continue. <laughs> um, what have we got list? Ah, what are you hoping for in the upcoming holiday toy rollout? Oh yes! To any 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 kind of toy soldiers, any figures, oh, yeah. anything yeah. you're looking for. What, what so, what's on your mind? So, Games Workshop is coming out with a game called Necromunda. Now, of my collection, the miniatures that I would give to really amazing artists were always Necromunda miniatures because they have a level of detail. The the notion of Necromunda is that <laughs> very similar to where I live. Um, there are these areas that are just generally lawless and have gangs that roam around. So it's an opportunity to take the Warhammer 40,000 universe and run it as if you were like some gang in what they call the hive world, where basically there's no laws. And, you know, so you have various kinds of gangs. One covers themselves in rat skins. One dresses up like clowns. One was just like really beefy guys. One is like some mystic cult. I mean, in terms of just the quality of miniatures, uh, Necromunda, when it first came out, which was in the late 90s, I think, was just amazing. The re-release of some of these miniatures, and they're taking it on a slightly Mad Max, slightly sexualized route. Like the previous figures, I guess there were a few female gangs, 
But the new figures seem to be all like, you know, women in shredded leather and a bunch of other stuff like that. So I don't know what direction it's going to go. But as a game that did really well for Games Workshop and was also more about small skirmishes, Necromunda is certainly something that I'm watching. So that's probably the thing of interest that I'm following for, for the upcoming release season yes that's always exciting there's a bunch of star wars stuff came out Mm. yesterday Mm. um a lot of star wars toys um came out but um and anything tie fighter related Mm. is always good or like uh i love like the hoth stuff anything Mm -hmm. snow related but there is um you know uh, for for the old star wars stuff i always liked well, there wasn't six-inch figures, but now there's six-inch figures. So I kind of like them a little bit more than the three and three-quarter-inch, four-inch mm. guys, you know. But interesting. The, there is a um, Kylo Ren ship. It looks like a TIE Interceptor. I don't know mm. the name of it, uh, but it's like super. You know, the the TIE Interceptor. If you don't know, it's like I'm sure everybody knows, but it's like so pointy in the front. It's like mm-hmm. the TIE fighter, you know. Certainly. But his is even like sleeker. I mean, it yeah. will like get, poke your eye out. It's really cool. So I was like, maybe I should get that and do like some sort of GI Joe custom, like paint mm-hmm. it up somehow <laughs> and uh, put like Night Viper in it or something. But um. Yeah, I don't get into the. I don't really get into the 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 four inch Star Wars guys too much. So hmm. yeah, I, I like them, but I mm-hmm. just I I think I have two of them. I have Kylo Ren and a Stormtrooper for the newer guys. That's it. Yeah. Hmm. Uh. So yeah, that would be cool. Any anything Tie Fighter related, I guess I'd say. I know GI Joe isn't coming out with anything. So yeah, that's it. Attic update. Dan is a topic from you. Are you sipping a cold beverage? I have been, yes. Does it come through in my voice? Do I sound that relaxed after I say, No, but you're, <laughs> you're still breathing. I was, he must be hydrating himself. What is the beverage tonight, Thomas? Uh, it's just water with ice, because quite frankly, if it was anything else, it would just, uh, yeah, I'm, I, uh, it's, all I could do is rehydrate currently. That's all I can do. I'm just focusing on the rehydration and the text on my screen. For me, <laughs> The attic update has been, it's been swelteringly hot. I haven't been able to get up in there. So my wife has gone on a, what is it called? A quilting retreat. That's what she's on currently. So ah. there was potential to get a suitcase out, but I realized that I'd actually kept a suitcase down, thankfully. Uh, but yeah, I've got to do some fix up on the ladder system and I've got to get some particular pliers and just fix it up. When we, we had the attic completed or at least had the flooring installed and the drop down ladder installed when we had our bathroom renovated so it was very much an adjunct to that getting done and i don't know it's not the best installation associated with the stairs and stuff but it works and i guess it's going to be utilized in upcoming months my friend who used to work for games workshop and is part of a number of other stories is coming in january february next year so i was thinking of bringing down like a lot of the games like the robotech game and things like that just getting that set up and ready for his arrival oh, so we'll have stuff yeah. to do while he's here oh that's awesome yeah. that's uh you, you know your ladder system sounds like mine it mine's like well i don't know if yours is rickety but mine is like ready to give out at any time mm. and like occasionally when you open it i mean it's pretty old like some of the bolts are like these square mm. uh so some of the nuts i mean are, are square and like you'll open it occasionally and like a bolt or a nut will just come falling down and like where did that one come from mm. <laughs> but um uh there's nothing much going on i gotta get some of the halloween stuff down it's getting right. close to that time so maybe another two weeks i'll go back up but other than that no nothing too new 
Yeah. It's interesting, actually, because you've described circumstances where you got rid of quite a bit of stuff. And yeah. it's interesting that whole, because, I mean, I'm constantly getting together donation boxes and it's something that I'm always mindful of, particularly because I've reached a critical mass associated with miniatures and particularly lead miniatures. And I'm just thinking, my wife has taken up on eBay recently. So I was thinking of just giving her a bunch of miniatures that she can flog on eBay and keep the profits for her. But yeah, I don't know. It's one of these difficulties. Mind you, if your daughter's into miniatures, I can just bring a bunch of them <laughs> when I come in November. I just pass them on to the next generation of uh, potential miniature gamers. So It's pretty cool. She's gotten into like really like setting them up. Mm. Like I'll I'll walk away and come back and they'll be like a bunch of your miniatures will all be like standing in a row mm. or like uh, a lot of my GI Joes will have be on stands and mm. they're all like set up. But I'm like, you can go and do whatever you want with those. They're to be played with. So <laughs> I come back and I'm like, huh, I wonder why she picked that one. And like, mm. I always hated that one. <laughs> like, <laughs> but uh, yeah, she does. She likes them. So yeah, for the cool. D and D night, I'm moving away from the Dwarven like dungeon bit. So I was thinking I'd just bring my bit, box of dungeon bits and pass it on to her as well so she could actually like start building dungeons and things you know you've got to really start them young and you've got to start them young with the right kinds of tools so that's right well uh, (laughs) Well, thank you (laughs) well the benefit of actually doing it as a road trip is that things like weight and this kind of stuff secondary to the nature of the road trip anyway yeah you ask this year's football gambling pools brands three versus three pool please expand on this topic Okay, so uh, I always try to come up with a new football pool, like mm. a new idea because I can't stand fantasy football, but I'm like the only one. Mm. Uh, and there's always like pools going around with people I know and stuff. So I never I never get into them. I never mm. – I'm not into gambling at all. But mm. I like to just pick the winners every week, you know. Mm. So this year <laughs> – I know everyone's like, why do you want to – all right. Like I got I to gotta play with my heart. I can't pick a team I can't stand and then cheer for them. So mm. that's why I never gamble. But so this year's pool, my idea – so if you want to try a new pool uh, or or whatever, um, you take your – you you pick uh, six teams. So mm. – and, you know, you're going to have to decide how you pick with somebody else, but you'll pick the three best teams that you think are going to be the most winning, most scoring, uh, highest scoring three teams and the lowest scoring three teams, like best and worst three. And then each week you take whatever those teams scored and the difference is your amount of points. So you, you basically have three sets of points each week and you total them up. So whoever gets the most points at the end will win. So obviously your worst teams, you want to score zero and your best teams, you want to score mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. So just something new to, uh, just to try out, but I'll be playing that this year with like two other people. Very good. <laughs> yeah. Very good. And that's another tradition for the fall here. Uh, and I guess everywhere, but fall is football. So even though I say I'll watch the games, I'll probably just watch the highlights. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> yeah. Very good. So on a similar theme, Tom and Bran giving a prediction on who will make it to the 2018 Super Bowl. Oh, I'll dude. let you start with this, and then I have a story. Okay, uh, this year's Super Bowl, I always play wild. So the Minnesota Vikings are going to play the Kansas City Chiefs. It's going to be like a Super Bowl four. Uh Again, all over again. Everyone's probably like, you're an idiot. But, um, I, I, okay, do you have any, uh, do you have a pick for the Super Bowl? So I've got to tell a little story to our listeners because I think we're missing something here. 
about what four months ago, I was sent mysteriously a package containing some seeds, which I planted in the ground. And these seeds came up very, very slowly, but I now have at least eight substantial sized bushes completely packed <laughs> with these chili peppers. Now, I've heard a rumor, which I'm thinking of actually marketing to the NFL, that when you eat these chili peppers in the right weather conditions, you will mysteriously become interested in football. And if that can happen, if that can happen to people such as myself, then I think I can market these genetics. I'll throw you a cut and probably Webby a cut as well. Uh, to the NFL as being like the magic vegetable that will get people interested in the NFL. Now, I've heard that the weather has to be right. I've heard a bunch of other things, but yeah. So when I came to this particular predicament, I didn't have any Webby peppers to eat, so I just put it into Google, and the result that Google gave me back was the singer Adele and Bob Dylan. Apparently, they're going to be the people that will meet at Super Bowl 2018. <laughs> ah, dude. Oh, that's so lame. Oh, man. <laughs> I, uh, I got... To a couple of friends, but they don't watch football at all. And like mm. two years ago, I asked them to go down and pick the Eagles schedule. And I said, look, just put a W or an L. And the one guy picked the first eight games correct. I mm. couldn't believe it. And it was uh, – and then after that, he got like the next eight wrong. Mm. But the first eight games, I was like, dude, it's unbelievable because he lived in Florida and he didn't even know that the Dolphins were from Miami. Which is like everybody knows that, but he knows nothing of sports. So I always like to ask everybody who's who's the Super Bowl pick. Um, mm. But yes, back to the peppers, real quick. Mm -hmm. When you eat those, and you know you start panting and you start breathing, and then you, you know you get on your feet, and they're about to call the, you know, they're about to snap the ball. Oh, and, okay. Oh, when they're gonna snap? No, when they when they're gonna snap? You thought it was hot in San Jose, man. It's oh, when when they when they're about to snap the ball and the whole stadium's going wild and you're like three feet from the TV, you got to get your arms going up. Come on, man. Oh man, you're gonna love it. Then you'll experience the Webby peppers. Very good. Yeah. Very good. I've been going through the five alarms. I'm not sure what they're called. Five alarm or eight alarm? I got rid of the packet. But they are, I don't know, they're, they're the quiet achievers associated with temperature. My ties are still not ready. And I'm just waiting for getting the Thai chilies at the absolutely perfect heat. But I wanted to talk a little bit about preserving the Webby peppers. I'm in two minds associated with this. In fact, I have so many, I'm going to do it through two different mechanisms. In Australia, I would always use the blandest possible white vinegar for my preserving of peppers because it maintained the flavor. But... I put the five alarms into apple cider vinegar and actually it gives it a really nice additional flavor. So I'm going to try both and I'll bring a couple of jars with me on the road trip if I get to it in time. Uh, but they're still not, they're not turning any color. They're still that kind of very light fluorescent green. So hopefully sometime go. this month, hopefully yeah. sometime this month. Oh yeah. Oh dude, I'm so jealous. I can't believe do the, do the trees have like little bark on them. They're so, they're like bushes. They're literally like almost spherical bushes. Uh -huh, and all right. the peppers are so dense. Like some of them almost look like, the, because the peppers are so close together, that they're mutant peppers that have grown into each other, but you can pull yeah. them apart and they're actually separate peppers. But I've never seen a plant that has this density of fruit. I mean, it's just phenomenal. So, yes. yeah. Ah, dude. yeah. Oh, man, I'm so jealous. It's awesome. Yes. 
did you get a second set of seeds? Are you planting a second set of seeds, or have you just given up for this year? No, I gave up. <laughs> oh, wow. I gave up, yeah. I'll go pillage Webby's uh, crops, if he has any. He didn't have many. He didn't have so. any. Oh. No, he he didn't. He I don't know. I guess he was just going up and down to Vermont and mm. kind of busy. He had like a couple plants, but there there it wasn't much. I'll go over there. There'll be like fifty plants. He's been mm. hiding them from me. <laughs> Very good. Very yeah. good. Who is the one superhero you would take on a road trip slash vacation? Well, this one and this you inspired me with this because very good. I'm thinking, I'm thinking about you on the road. <laughs> And who who are you going to take? And now I know who you're going to take. It's got with that weather. It's got to be Iceman. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Plus, Iceman. If you get in a traffic jam, he can shoot that like ice thing. So as long as you got chains on your tires, you could probably just get like your own like Route 66 across the <laughs> country mm. with Iceman. But yes. yeah, yes. So, so who who is yours? Let us start with yours, and then I'll get to mine. I think I would take the Flash because mm. I want to see how he he can just sit still the whole time, and I don't really like the Flash. So I kind of mm-hmm. want to see what happens. <laughs> so anybody else is probably just too strong. Would probably 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 break the car apart. Uh, yeah, I, I think I'll take the Flash. Interesting, interesting. Well, when I first came to this question, I thought immediately of my wife because my wife has superhero powers, particularly when it comes to men. Uh, breaking arms and various other things. Um, but <laughs> when I came to it, I thought a little bit more and I thought, what are the superheroes of ye, ye olde superheroes that as a child I used to enjoy? And the only superhero that came to mind, which you probably don't know about, Brandon, is a fellow called Banana Man, who was an anti-superhero <laughs> created in the UK by a group called The Goodies. Have you had any exposure to The Goodies? No. The goodies were three guys. They came out about the same time as Monty Python, and they were the children's version of Monty Python in the UK. Three completely different guys, each representing different social classes, and they were uniquely funny. When they all finished the goodies, uh, one fellow went on to do Banana Man, which is basically an anti-superhero. He's a bit like Spider-Man, but just with more, I don't know, I don't know. I've, I never liked Spider-Man. He just strikes me as a loser, basically. No, <laughs> Banana, Man, Banana Man is slightly less of a loser than Spider-Man is, but still is inspired <laughs> as the, the loser. And as I look down at your icon, I realize I have said an amazing faux pas. Let's just move away from this topic right now. Let's just move away from this topic right now. Next I topic. Got, no, wait, I got Sorry. a Spider-Man. I got a Spider-Man thing for you. I'm, okay. uh, I was like really little and I was in the shopping cart. My mom was like, there's a Spider-Man, like a big stuffed Spider-Man, like two feet and had Velcro on his hands and feet. So you could like wing him against the couch and he would stick mm. there. So my mom gives this to me and I'm allowed to like carry it around. So we get in line and we're, we're I'm in the shopping cart and the kid behind me, as, my, as we're going through the line, just keeps pestering me. And he's going, are you getting that for my birthday? Are you bringing me Spider-Man for my <laughs> Oh my so, every time I hear Spider-Man, I always think of this kid. I'm like, I don't know you, dude, and I would never give you this if I got it. But yes, I love Spider-Man. Uh, all right, Tomcat, let's let's move on. Certainly, certainly. Google Maps versus Apple Maps versus MapQuest. What is your go-to <laughs> and why? Yes. All right, let me hear it. What do you use? This is a religious thing, and I've been able to convert my wife recently. My wife was an absolute die-hard Google Maps person. Absolute die-hard. 
I've never been a Google person. They blocked my website for a period of time a while ago. They're interviewing practices and just general harassment of skilled tech workers. There are a series of reasons why I don't particularly like Google. I have gone through a period of Apple Maps, even when it was really bad and sent you in always the wrong direction. I suffered through the first three years of Apple Maps, in particular going for drives with my wife and like just ending up in like dirt lots in Las Vegas where we're supposed to be at strip malls and things like that. I mean, so I've gone through the heady years of Apple Maps and I've stuck with them. And now my wife is a Apple Watch person. She's converted to Apple Maps recently because she likes the like vibrations on the wrist associated with the driving directions. So slowly but surely converted the stalwart in our broad relationship associated with this particular technology. How about you, Brandon? What's your preference? It's exactly the same thing. Um, I, I got a buddy who constantly trashes Apple Maps, and we, of course we've all been sent in the wrong spot. I mean, MapQuest, I remember going to an arcade auction. Uh, MapQuest took us like round and round. Um, uh, you know, it was printouts, but it, uh, we ended up in an abandoned bank parking lot like 45 <laughs> minutes from the auction. I was like, you're killing me, MapQuest. But it was sort of funny. Um, but yeah, you know what? The watch works awesome with Apple Maps. Mm-hmm. I mean, it works. It Actually, I went to that Nicholas Smith train shop, and I was like, mm-hmm. let's just see if it takes me there. And and it was so good. I was like, I'm sticking with it. But I always liked how it's sort of just kind of like clean cut and it's maps and and there's not too much junk on there. I I like it. I'm I'm I agree completely, hundred percent. I don't even really know Google Maps. I never really try it. I I've tried it a little bit, but I've always just gone to Apple Maps. The one technology that Apple Maps got early on was TomTom, and TomTom, aside from being a wonderful name duplicated, is also a <laughs> It, it points the direction <laughs> forward, right? The Apple map is always pointing forward because they got that technology from TomTom. The Google Maps will send you in all kinds of different directions. It's never pointing forward because they can't do that because Apple's technology. But, yeah, it was funny actually watching my wife convert over. It was literally probably two and a half years of <laughs> very curious circumstances, particularly in the Bay Area, where one of us would be using one map set and another would be using another map set. And through this period, I live by an edict that I think all married men should, happy wife, happy life. It just means that you shut up at certain points of time when things are getting really toxic and angry. So I would allow Google Maps to guide us after a certain period. But thankfully now, my wife has seen the light and we are both using Apple Maps. How about search engine? Uh, So this is more interesting. I still use, I mean... For all I say about Google, I use Google just because it's default on a lot of stuff. <laughs> there are certain things I will use Bing for that I have editorialized historically, <laughs> uh, but usually, usually it's Google. Ah, nice, nice. I uh, I never left Lycos. <laughs> <laughs> what on earth happened to that? It was purchased by Hewlett Packard. Does it still? Does that? Does that even exist anymore? Fetch, Lycos, fetch. Remember the commercials? Oh my goodness! <laughs> Moving forward. Yes. yes. Moving forward. So, you ask a question, which I might need a paraphrasing, but I think I understand what you're saying. What's on the range? <laughs> Your best meal in the past week. Anything planned for the coming week? Yeah. Would you? Um... I know you do a lot of cooking or your wife does a lot of cooking. What, did you have any like great meal this week? So as my wife is out of town, 
Well, this wasn't the best meal that I had, but I had a steak last night, and I have another steak thawing out for what's been done with this. I, like many, have been... I'm now on 1% milk, Brandon. I'm really sorry to say she won over the week associated with the 1% milk. And she heard it in the last podcast as well, so I was definitely on 1% milk from now on. So, yes, a, a little bit of red meat in the absence of my wife has been very interesting. But we discovered a new sushi place, and I've talked historically about fatty yellowtail, or is it a sold here, yellowtail belly. This is my favourite sushi fish of all time. And we found a place in the wild that has it on a regular basis. So that is now our new number one sushi place. Agadashi tofu, I'm a big fan of as well, which is lightly, not the heavily fermented tofu, lightly fermented tofu. They have a mixed mushroom miso, which is delectable because they have a wide variety of like tiny forest mushrooms and stuff like that. So that has been the highlight meal of the week with second place coming to a randomly cooked piece of red meat that I was able to enjoy last night. <laughs> How about you? Uh, nowhere near as good, but actually my mother-in-law made some really good chicken parmesan. Mm. I didn't expect it. And I got home one night and she brought a bunch over and, uh, yeah, it was really good. I was dogging it. Um, mm. yeah, but that's, that, that's it. I don't have anything land coming up. No, I don't have any. Any big meals planned coming up? I usually do do a big Sunday dinner, but tomorrow's going to be hectic, so who knows what it'll be. I have a food-related question for you. Yeah. Because when I lived in the UK, actually prior to getting to the UK, when I was in the US 2000, 2001, I got really into multi-meat gravies. And I started obsessing about what actually changes in the gravy when you add a second meat. Like, the whole physics of the gravy and the flavour layering and everything changes so much. And I started playing with outlandish two meats, things like chicken and bacon, and, you know, just strange double meats to see if I change the meats. Two meats are always vastly appreciably better than one, right? Have you thought about this at all? Yeah, yeah. Um, especially with like the meatball mix, you know, mm. which I, I, I guess they have it there as well, but the pork beef and mm -hmm. veal mm. you know uh because i i got a friend who's like why mix the um like we always go back and forth like we like to buy it so it's it's if you're gonna buy the pack of it make sure you can see that it's different like some places will just mix it all up so you don't really know what you're getting in there mm. so but also a buddy of mine who knows what he's talking about it's like why would you mix veal with beef it mm. you're just ru ruining it but I don't know what it is about those three. Like you can just do just pork or you can do pork and beef, you know, and it's like, eh, but those three, I don't know if it's a mental thing of seeing it and knowing it's there, but it definitely tastes better. What I found through my experimentation was that the, there's something about the multi meats with the tomatoes, like there's something in the tomato juices. And when it hits one meat, it does something, but when it hits two meats, there's a combination of different fats or something. I mean, I spent quite a bit of time studying this process because I can't... I mean, they're appreciably better. Like, it's not just a doubling of goodness. Like, it's vastly better when yeah. the second meat hits, and the third meat just takes it to a whole new level. I don't know. Yeah, 
No, I agree because I've tried to like like pork has such a, a good flavor to it. And if you like I've made meatballs and I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm not using beef. I'm just going to use all pork and make pork mm. meatballs. See how that is. You know, and I'm like, OK, let's let's keep it simple. Everything else. Nothing's changing. And, you know, you mix them back and forth. But when you do all three, it does taste better. I don't know. I agree. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> I definitely agree. Very I don't good. know. I don't know. If, chicken and bacon how good that is but it kind of sounds like usually bacon you can't screw it up well this is british bacon so it's actually a distinctly different product it's more porky than it is bacony in general but yeah no i was i was willing to try vastly different meats just to look at the gravy consistency and the appreciable improvements anyway yeah <sighs> starving Dave Smith's <laughs> movie of the week we're doing things completely out of order but i'm going to put in Dave Smith's movie of the week yeah, you, uh, anything gotta, this week. Uh, yeah, you. Well, I didn't watch it yet, but I got the package. Mm-hmm. I didn't wait to open it. Uh, the Snowtown Murders. Mm-hmm. Oh, dude, I watched. What did I watch recently? I haven't watched any movies. I haven't been watching like whole movies at all at all recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have something else on. Go ahead, Tom. Did you? So did you I'm. A- I'm. I went through a list of top ten, top twenty gangster movies recommendations just to see if i could watch anything for attic aficionados i went through miller crossing i wouldn't recommend it i'm about like i don't know how far i am through once upon a time in america but another not worthy of recommendation we talked last week about films that made me cry and i neglected to mention the film shine shine is two levels for me firstly it's a an intimate look into what it's like to have jewish parents and secondarily, my friend who will be coming and staying with me publicized Shine. And that was just really, this guy basically was, he disappeared for a period of time. He lived in a series of squats. He's kind of a quintessential stoner friend for want of better terminology. He walked into Ronan Films that made Shine. 19, didn't have any prior experience. He used to play Bridge, the card game. And it turns out that the person in Ronan Films also played Bridge. So they spent an hour and a half talking about Bridge, and then they gave him this film to publicise. So, yeah, the movie Shine, for me, has a particular place for a series of reasons. I also think it's a really interesting illustration of dramatic and immediate mental deterioration, which I've certainly found in multiple times in my life. So, yes, that is a film which, I don't know, for me it has particular context, but I thought I'd throw it out there. Should we do a book of the week? Yeah, but you, not we, you. <laughs> There's a, Dave Smith has questions, which I'm going to come to. My pick is Killing for Pleasure, the definitive story of the Snowtown murders by Debbie Marshall. I, when I saw Snowtown, I thought this is a really amazing film to be made in Australia. It's very bleak. It's got all kinds of, uh, well, it's interesting actually. I watched, um, what's it called? Black Mass through the week as well, because you mentioned Highlight last recording. The only oh, yeah. reference I have to highlight is in the movie Black Mass because they whack a guy who was like a highlight executive or something. Yeah. Uh, and that has some, Black Mass has small elements of like murderous torture in it, but nothing like Snowtown. Like Snowtown, I need to warn you in advance, Brandon, it's probably not something that you'd want to watch with your wife. It's probably something that you want to pick a particular time where you can watch. And the violence, in particular, some of the violence to animals and various other things. I mean, there are a series of difficult points. I read on Amazon the reviews as I sent it to you. 
the other thing is it's got a lot of footage of people eating. And when you mentioned Napoleon Dynamite, I thought, well, if he's watched Napoleon Dynamite, he'd probably stand people eating in films. But that was one of the main things, the review on Amazon, not all the torture and other things, but you will see a lot of footage of people eating. Anyway. <laughs> oh, Killing for Pleasure. The thing about Killing for Pleasure is it's a fat book. It's 500-odd uh, pages, and it's written... It's a page-turner. It's written really very well. Uh, she takes a kind of narrative perspective on the various characters, and she gives a little of intimacy that you don't get in the film. It was a good book. I enjoyed it. Anyway, let me put it out there. Dave Smith's questions. Question for Brandon. Does he still cuss as much as he used to, or is he keeping it tame for the podcast? I don't think I've heard him say fuck once. <laughs> no, that can't be correct. <laughs> of course I do. Yeah, curse? Yes, there's the answer. <laughs> no, I'm not keeping it tame. If I have been, I, I apologize. I'll, yes. uh, I'll get going wild. Very good. It was one of the things that I actually mentioned to Art after we recorded a couple of shows. I just said to Brandon seems a lot tamer than like, I remember him being. I mean, even on Model Rail Radio, there might have been like some expletive or something that was in there. And I just wondered, and he just said, look, we're all getting older. It just happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As yeah. artists want to do. So anyway. There's a uh, good line in No Country for Old Men. And Tommy Lee Jones is like, age will flatten a man. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, all right, so there you go. Yeah, There's life flattens you. Age is the progression of life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, another question from Dave Smith. What does Brandon think of Steven Seagal? He sucks. I, I can't stand him. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I mean, really, it does. I don't care. I, I've no I've seen like probably dozens of his movies, you know, but when you like, you know, when those guys came out, him and Van Damme, it was always like you either liked one or the other. So I was always Van Damme and mm. I didn't like that Seagal never kicked. He like never he never kicked anybody. I think he like all his movies. He kicked like um like once or twice and they're not even good kicks it's like you can't even kick over his waist but i did like his movies i always thought it was funny like van damme's movies would always be two words and seagal's movies would be three words like hard to kill out for justice above the law mark for death and van damme's would be like blood sport double impact uh hard target uh i mean death warrant Lionheart, like they're, uh, then they changed after a while, but like Seagal, like on deadly ground, like, like just, I don't know. Yes. I should watch some other movies, but, um, yeah, yeah, anyway, uh, no, I do not, I'm not a Steven Seagal fan, not at all. So through the week, perchance, I saw an excerpt of Sausage Casserole that I owned historically. It's in a box of DVDs somewhere. And I noticed that you had a martial arts scene in, What's it called? Hot Dog Casserole, sorry. Anyway, whatever the film's called, I noticed that you had a martial arts scene in that film. And I often wondered if you'd studied martial arts, like, is that something that you did at all or just observed how martial artists move? No, just, oh, no, never. Uh, I just, we always just film stuff like that. So, mm. you know what we always watched? We called it Saturday Cinema. And I mean, mm. that's what it was called here. And they would play the old Chinese kung fu movies and... I just thought it was awesome. Like we would just mm -hmm. go out and try to reenact that. So we always were like playing with nunchucks, you know, jumping off things and just trying to kick and 
just trying to do that stuff so we could film it ourselves, basically. You know, mm-hmm. I guess it would be I always refer to it as like movie martial arts. Like you don't really have to be able to do anything with it, but it had to yes. look good on tape. So, yeah. But I always thought the nunchucks were a cool weapon. And I thought like you ever see like trisectional staff? It's like three mm-hmm. yep, long nunchucks. Yep, yep. <laughs> I was thought that was like the weirdest weapon. I'm like, who just has this on them? It's so bizarre. It's like three brooms tied together. Yeah. But uh yeah, there's people that can use them. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, you were very adept at certainly the facial movements and also holding the poses like slightly too long. I mean, that's yeah. the one thing from Bloodsport is that every possible pose has a facial movement and then he holds the position for just slightly too long, <laughs> yeah, like almost yeah. to the point of amusement. Like, this is just a little bit too ridiculous. Anyway. Oh, uh, movie. You know what? I, yeah. Kung Fu Hustle. Have you seen Kung Fu ah, Hustle? I think I might have. I'm not sure. I think it's uh, on my wife's iTunes list, so maybe I watched it with her at some point. Yeah. Oh, it's fun. That's a good movie just to watch. It's a That's a cool, cool movie. But anyway, there you go, Dave Smith. (laughs) (laughs) Another heady topic from Dave Smith. Tom, what's your advice for someone who wants to get into reading books but is too dumb to even know what they're interested in? Dash myself. And he also asks, books you think Brandon might find interesting. So my perspective is the first division is whether you read fiction, nonfiction, or both. I historically, up until the age of about 15, read fiction and nonfiction. And then from about 15 on, all I read is nonfiction. Because there's enough crazy shit going on in the world that, like, nonfiction gives me plenty of stuff. My perspective is that there are books on absolutely everything. And it's a bit like pornography in the modern age. There's pornography on absolutely everything. There are books on absolutely everything. Have you ever played that game associated with, is there a kind of porn associated with this thing? No. It's fascinating. I tried coal miners. That was my most recent one. There is coal mining porn. Both associated (laughs) with the coal miners coming home from the evening and also associated with the coal miners' wives doing various other things. Golden age of pornography, but back to books. Um, My perspective is that there are books on absolutely everything and start reading in areas that interest you because that's going to be what will motivate you to read. And then perhaps try to branch out into different other areas. Now, for people that read fiction, you know, pick your kind of fiction and then there's always a bunch of stuff to go on. But my perspective is I read both thin and fat books. I go through phases where I only want to read thin books and there are plenty of historical thin books out there and, you know, fat books we've talked about as well. What do I think Brandon might find interesting? Recording this podcast gives it only a certain level of intimacy. I do not feel that I know Brandon well enough at this stage to recommend books to him, but my hope is having met in November having spent some quality time in a car. How, how many folks are coming to the toy convention with us, Brandon? I don't get a sense of the road trip. Four, I think they'll be. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, including okay. us, you know, or four okay. total. Very good, very good. So, yeah, my hope is after November, I might be able to give Brandon better recommendations associated with reading. But, yeah, there's just a bunch of different kinds of books out there. And really... I used to read a lot more than I do currently. I went through a period where I just got sick of books. Like, it was literally, it was just a weight around me, the number of books that I had. So I got rid of a bunch of books, and I tried to refine my reading areas, and I tried electronic books, and I do go back periodically. But there's just so much out there, so much out there that's interesting, potentially. The trick is just to get one, and to allocate time as well. That's the other thing. You've got to allocate, I mean, historically... When I first got to the Bay Area, I was reading about five books a week. They were dangerous 
times in my life. It was really bad for me <laughs> to read that much. I now read maybe a book or less a week. I read less because, I don't know, I just don't allocate time for it like I used to. Um, anyway, so that's my advice. I will give Brandon book recommendations after we meet in November when I have a, a better sense of the man. I definitely much prefer writing over reading. Mm. Like I will easily write three to four nights a week, even mm. if it's only for 20 minutes. Mm. I don't know. I guess it's I, I, I don't know. It's I much prefer that's relaxing. You just mm-hmm. sit there, you grab a piece of paper and write or type it out. Um, I read a book. It's called uh, The Long and Far Away Gone. I couldn't think of the name, but um, uh, this is this is a while ago, maybe like not um, within the past year. But uh, I it was cool. There was like some 80s stuff and I liked it a lot. Uh, it was recommended to me and I was like, hey, you, know, you know what? I'm going to read a book. <laughs> so I did and I liked it a lot. But um, I'm not going to make that a regular practice. I I did wonder, actually, about the writing part of it, because, I mean, obviously, in terms of your creative work, and we've talked a bit about this, particularly with regards to the father and brother's web, whether, like, how much ad-libbing plays in your, like, filmed stuff? Like, whether Um, it's just a matter of putting characters together, or how much of it is actually scripted? If it's my stuff, I always write down, like, as far as the actual, like, speaking the dialogue that depending on the person you know some guys are better at just just here's the topic this is what we're gonna we need to hit these points let's go and i always like to try to just record and see what happens Mm. and then we can go off of a script you know um but i i feel like it always comes off much more natural that way Mm -hmm. you know if you just get and, and you can only try the first time once so i'm like just just try it let's mm-hmm. just try it and then we can always go back the other way you know like same with like making up words to songs i'm like i if somebody else makes music i love to just try to make up words to it the first time i hear it because mm-hmm. it's so hard but you only get that one shot and mm-hmm. once in a while it works out and so it's like um you know i don't know it's it's but i do prefer i do you know even if it's not writing something i'm gonna shoot i just like writing you know mm-hmm. interesting so, interesting yeah. We now move into my topics. Last week, you asked me for the films that I was looking forward to in October, November, December timeframe. And I went back and I looked. The one film that my wife and I agreed on was The Foreigner with Jackie Chan coming up, I think, in November. This is definitely a film that we will go and see together. I love Jackie Chan movies in general. Like, even his bad ones are well worth watching. And this one actually seems to be getting a lot of critical acclaim before it comes out, which could mean it's just a disaster, but let's remain optimistic. The Darkest Hour, I went to see Dunkirk, which was a complete train wreck movie that I would not recommend to anyone. It's just abusive associated with the historical period. But uh, Darkest Hour looks particularly good with Churchill. I don't know yet. I, I can't rate movies like this until I actually see it, but it's one that I wanted to see. Another one that looked interesting to me was American Made, which is a Tom Cruise movie about the CIA's running cocaine in the 1980s. When, what was it, Uh, 2000 perhaps, I met a group of guys that were all um, ex, I don't know if they were CIA, but they were a group that basically hacked the communication networks. It was called the Clipper Chip originally. There were half a dozen of them. They 
created a company and sold it to Ericsson and I met a bunch of them. One of them I had a protracted argument with at a meal out, which was kind of stupid, but I was kind of stupid when I was 22, 23, associated with the CIA's responsibility of getting cocaine into the US and creating the crack epidemic. I don't think it's controversial anymore. I mean, I think it's now like generally agreed upon that the CIA ran a lot of cocaine into the US, particularly in the 80s. And this is a film about that. Not a huge Tom Cruise fan, but I'll live through it for the topic. The final one, which you mentioned associated with the toys, in some regard, is that there's another Star <laughs> Wars movie coming out. And it's like an abusive relationship for me. I just feel that the Star Wars franchise is like, I never know whether I'm going to go into it and get smacked around or whether I'm actually going to have a pleasurable experience. And you're always rolling dice. And quite frankly, maybe two thirds of the time, it's not necessarily pleasurable. But I'm interested in this movie. So, yeah, Star Wars The Last Jedi. It's a good name. Let's see what happens. How about you, Brandon? Do you have any movies that you're interested in seeing? No, I basically wanted to know what you were going to see so I could uh-huh. put it on my list. I I have not looked at anything at all. Hmm. Um, is there a new X-Men coming out? Yeah, or am I'm I completely really, wrong? I'm, I'm not into that franchise, but I'm sure there is because there always is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's coming on the superhero front and – uh how about uh, Daredevil on Netflix? Mm-hmm. When is that coming out? Do you know? Oh, <laughs> asking me Netflix-related questions. So you see, oh, I'm making you work when you're off. Let me, no, let me, I let me make this question. Point. No, no, no. Let me let me answer this question. There are at least two Netflix. There are in fact three or four Netflix. But I'm part of the Netflix that if something goes wrong, I have to stay up till midnight and work away on it. And I work with a bunch of teams. And I'm now currently I'm secondary on call, but. For a period of time, I was like the always on call guy. So my relationship with Netflix is associated with making sure that people just have the best possible experience with it. And it means that I can't attend the company meetings where announcements are made associated with content. So the way I find out about content is there'll be content that people find bugs in that I then have to go and look at the content. I found Narcos that way. I mean, Narcos was just amazing to actually find it in the way that I did. So I rely on testers and Netflix, and occasionally my co-workers will say, oh, I've watched such and such and such and such and what have you. But through that process, I'm always the last to know when things are coming out, and I'm always like, I'll find good content occasionally, but I'm not the person to ask for that thing. And, yeah, it's just it's a strange relationship that I have with Netflix, but that's just the way it is. Well, the the <laughs> mug is delicious. I have it in my hands. I Wonderful. Drink coffee from it. That's yes. the most important thing, yeah. Yes. <laughs> very good (laughs) nice nice so a topic that we come to through a series of factors is associated with actually writing music and i wanted to talk about this for quite some time because i i've always done music in some way and i moved from like formal performance music into composition when i was about 13 and i just said i'm not going to stand it like i played the violin for four or five years And I just got sick of performance music, like playing, you know, whatever I was supposed to play in front of a group of people. It just got boring to me. But I always liked to tinker. I always, particularly with the piano, like to play the piano and just make up songs and do all this kind of stuff. And through my college years, my my father's never been, well, he's sometimes he's been in the same country, but he wasn't in the same country. And my mother left Australia with my brothers. So I got the family piano, which was just amazing for me because it meant that when I was in college and I lived off campus in a converted double garage, it was pretty rough and ready. 
but I had the family piano in the double garage and I would play it for hours. It was just cathartic for me. And I had a girlfriend at the time that described my music as deranged circus music. And it's something that's always stuck with me. But I have done composition for performance and I've done various other things associated with composition. Um, I had a piano teacher for about five or six years who I just would go and play and talk about, like, I don't know, chord progressions and various other things. So music has always been a high point for me. That piano, if I may digress, <laughs> suffered a very extreme fate. Mm. And the sad thing about it is that... It was somewhat surreal to me. At the time that I left Australia, there were a group of people that wanted to leave Australia with me. And a few of them I just wouldn't co-sign on. And a few of them had strange circumstances and a variety of factors. When I left Australia, one of my friends got the family piano, but then it was very splendidly destroyed by another gentleman, which was somewhat surreal. But anyway, he destroyed it in homage to me leaving Australia. About, I don't know how long it was after that, but literally the day that my grandfather died in Australia and my wife's grandmother, who was killed by a train, I reference her being killed, but she was killed by a train, had her funeral. On that day, I got an oh. email from the guy in Australia who had taken the piano originally saying, I have sourced a new piano for you. I'll pay for it and get it delivered. Because he obviously felt bad that this guy basically blew up this piano. Well, he attacked it with an axe first. He filmed all of it too. Anyway, so he was, he was, he wants to be absolved from this piano destruction situation. Anyway, that was, it was a Richard Lippenstein, which is like an early, it was a 1812, like German original, like Black Forest internals. It was a beautiful piano. Anyway, so that was the piano. After a few years, I started composing music predominantly for podcasts again. And the kids referenced in last recording associated with how I started communicating heavily with Ted and Art, they had me composing a song every week for their podcast, which I absolutely loved. And it gave me an opportunity to just do a bunch of stuff musically that I wanted to do. And I could also do like banjo music and a bunch of other like really esoteric things that I normally wouldn't do in composition. But, you know, when you're dealing with gentlemen from the South, Banjo music is pretty critical. Anyway, then I started looking more associated with music as production and I started filing copyright on music and looking at samples and these kind of things, like actually producing music that could be used in other things. But I did it all kind of on the down low and pretty quietly. And for me, music is like an internal narrative. Like some people have a narrative which they just say. For me, it's a series of music, which occasionally I get a piano in front of me and I play various pieces and put it together. So I have typically at any given time between half a dozen to a dozen songs in my head and just getting time on the keyboard enables me to put that together. But one of the things I've historically liked about your work, Brandon, is obviously that you have a musical component to it. And one of the things that interested me was, you know, maybe, I mean, I didn't want to be forceful with it, but, you know, if you like the stuff that I produce, that maybe we could do collaboration in the future. So, yes, but I wasn't gonna absolutely. Say it. I wasn't going to no, say it. I love it. I love it. So, oh, dude, I love it. I'm going to cut you off right there. Yes, 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 and yes. Yeah, I, no, I, I, I love it, man. I love it. That's, it's, it's, uh, yeah, but go ahead. So I wasn't going to say anything explicitly, but you mysteriously asked me, I don't know, about a month ago. And I said, okay, I'll show him like the half a dozen things I'm working. I've got about two dozen things, but they were the half a dozen that immediately came to me that I just dropped it down. I was like, oh, I got to change bits of this and all this kind of stuff. So I fixed up some stuff. And then there was silence for about three weeks and I thought, uh, 
He doesn't like my music. It's deranged circus music. What are you doing, Tom, putting this stuff out in the world? And then you sent me this email just out of the blue one Wednesday morning. I was pumping gas at the time. I was just like, <laughs> just like yes, vindicated, vindicated. Yeah. Not deranged circus music after all. Oh, no, I apologize. I, dude, I constantly will, you know, like, like, exact, like you sent me that the music. I'll listen mm. to it and be like, yes, dude, this is awesome. And then I just don't say anything because I'm just thinking about it, you know, and I'm like, oh man, like a week went by. I'm like, I never wrote Tom back on that. I'm like, I feel like I've answered you already in my head, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, yes, yeah. dude, I love it. And then I just kind of went on. But, uh, yeah, no, I love it. I would love to do that. That is, uh, definitely. That's, yeah. That's it's making music. It's like no strings attached. It's just pure. It's just pure fun. It's just exactly. all fun. You know, Without who cares if someone doesn't like it? It's I'm gonna make some more. <laughs> I'm gonna exactly. make some more. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's a strange emotional thing for me. I mean, for example, with my wife out of town, I put together three things today, and I've just got to move some stuff around. Oh, I should point out, I use the Apple tools. I now use a Logic Pro and an Emu keyboard. I've got a, a a well, the drum mat thing, but rhythm is always secondary to me. Like the the rhythm actually comes through the playing more than the beats and stuff that go with it. So yeah, I'm basically an Emu keyboard and Logic Pro now, and that keeps me happy. I finally found the historical banjo sound that I love, the bluegrass banjo. So I'm going to be producing some more banjo music in the near future because I really miss doing the the fingering for banjo music is particularly interesting to like make it sound authentic, like it's actually being played. The hand movement part of it, the actual working out the fingering and the rhythms and these kind of things is something that I really, like the composition part in terms of, you know, chord progressions and audio, what have you. I like the underlying rhythm of the kind of clickety clack thing on the keyboard. Well, you know, that's a portion of it. Anyway, enough on the music. Yes. No, that's like the same. That's actually like the same thing I do. Uh, mm-hmm. Logic and... um yeah, I just started looking at like um, – well, I've looked at it probably about six months ago, but I was I, – they have like a demo, Native Instruments. Mm. Um, I don't know if you've ever looked at them, but they got – you know, it's I, I can't play guitar at all, mm-hmm. but I, I love guitar or banjo or mm-hmm. – you know, um, and they have some cool options for that that sound really good. But yeah, just a thought. A story that I wanted to tell associated with a particular musical instrument because it was rare – and rather curious, was my one experience playing a real harpsichord. Have you ever played a real harpsichord? No. Did it be awesome. They are amazing instruments. And this happened very in very curious circumstances. The Australian Jewish community is rather small. When I say it's rather small, <laughs> it's got to be 200 people at most. I mean, it's tiny. <laughs> and when... I was a child, I wasn't a part of that. And they, I have a strange relationship to it because there's a honey bait component as well. There's like a two to one ratio of women to men of my age group in the Australian Jewish community. So I occasionally had friends who were women in the Jewish community that would say, you know, why don't you come to synagogue, Tom, and things like that. I'd be like, mm, why don't I go to synagogue? Anyway, so this was through uh, friends of my mother's who are very central folks in the Jewish community. And it's interesting, actually, that both still alive. The husband was in the gulags in Russia, like a really complex character. Uh, but they had a harpsichord because their son played the harpsichord and the son was moving to the US. So they looked after the harpsichord for about a month 
A harpsichord requires very specific tuning. It's like a particularly finickety piano, and um, the ability to play a harpsichord for, I think I probably played it for two and a half hours, was just absolutely amazing. The sound that you get out of a harpsichord, you can get electronic harpsichords, but it's not the same. Like the waiting is actually you press the keys and these kind of things. So this was an amazing experience for me. And one of the aspects of performance music, which I loved, was my uncle lived in a converted shop in Adelaide. Beautiful Adelaide, Brandon. Before you watch Snowtown, you can think of it as beautiful Adelaide. And I used to play out the front of his shop, literally the window onto the street for passers-by. He had a harmonium, which is a pedal organ. And I used to play, like, you could do just so much different kinds of music because it's got, like, various reeds and stuff that you can switch over and you can do, like, jazz music and vaudeville and a bunch of other things through this harmonium. So, as described, I don't know, I must have been about 17 when I played the harpsichord, but I could play it for two and a half hours quite easily, almost exclusively, I think, my own composition. I may have done little bits and pieces. But that was just a really amazing experience. And I had a bunch of other tortured stories associated with this, but I think that would be for another recording. <laughs> my wife and I watched, I didn't realize this, but my wife is actually a huge Napoleon Dynamite fan. So I watched Napoleon Dynamite with my wife this week. It's ah. actually, I'm, I'm surprised I only watched it once previously. It's not, it's funny. I selectively remembered certain parts of it, but watching it again, and I think I watched it before I knew your work. And that's, I think, the defining factor through watching it. I watched a lot of your work in the UK, but I'd watched Napoleon Dynamite prior to seeing your work. So I now, having had a sense of your work, and particularly the more recent stuff that you've done, I do understand why Napoleon Dynamite holds a special place <laughs> in your heart. <laughs> it strikes yeah. me that, uh, that the brush of awkward actors that are portrayed in Napoleon Dynamite and... Just the ability, my wife actually stalked the actor who plays Napoleon Dynamite and, uh, you know, had a number of fascinating facts as we watched this particular film. But it brought back a repressed memory for me. Up until university, I was involved with student politics. Before student politics became student, like, political parties, I was involved with student politics because it was just something I did. I was born with a cleft palate and being able to speak is actually something that took about six years of physical therapy. One of the reasons that I, I guess, record podcasts and have a sense of my voice and these kind of things. And part of that was giving speeches. Like part of it was actually going, putting yourself out there in order to perform in front of people and be understood. That was very big in the cleft palate speech therapy community. So I came to, I would have been in year nine. So high school in Australia or in the area of Australia I'm from is year seven to year 10. And then you have two years if you want to go to university to get your entrance to university, which is called college in the part of Australia I'm from. Year nine, I thought I'm going to run for student president. This is across the entire school. High school for me was a particularly brutal experience. They basically amalgamated a series of high schools. So there were about five separate high schools they're all pushed into this one high school. Would have been about 1,200 kids per year, I think. It was just like a vast quantity of kids in a high school that was built for about 400 kids per year. <laughs> so I came up year nine and I stood in front of the school and I said, you know, my name's Tom Barbelay. I've done various things. You know, here are the things that are important to me. I'd like to be elected president. 
the guy who came up after me was in year 10 and he said, school sucks, student representation sucks, basically I don't give a fuck, don't even vote for me. And he won that year. <laughs> so when we came to year 10, <laughs> I decided to do a rap in order to state who I was and also empower people to potentially vote for me. And I used the beat from Straight Out of Compton because I thought it was the hardest beat that I knew at the time. And I looped it up and I spooled it up. And this, to this day, is like a memory. So, for example, last year at Christmas, my father asked me to perform this rap again. This is part of my latent memory, this particular rap. (laughs) And I performed it. And initially people were kind of laughing because it was a bit strange. But then at the end, the crowd went wild. And I won by like 93% of the vote having done this election rap. <laughs> so this is my homage to uh, Napoleon Dynamite. I was listening to the actual audio of this. Unfortunately, I have a longer version somewhere on a tape, but this is the original WAV file that I recorded. I'll put it at the end of this particular recording for people interested. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the way that I performed it isn't the way that I performed it in my head. I put in an it where it shouldn't be in there. But quite frankly, it's well worth being there as a thing. And I think reflecting on Napoleon Dynamite, that just came to me. I can perform the rap now if you'd like, Brand. Yes, of <laughs> okay. course. I should start by saying that SRC, which is the only question that my wife had from this, stands for Student Representative Council, <laughs> which is the only question for that. <laughs> Let me start. Well, I get up on the podium. What can I say? Let me start off with the simple resume. Let me start off saying a little about me. I'm Tom Barbelay of last year's SRC. I'm pro-student telephone, pro-student rights. I'm Tom Barbelay. I won't go without a fight. Now my rap has ended, come what may, vote one Barbelay on election day. And that was it. 93% <laughs> of the vote. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. What year was that? Uh, 1992. Okay. I know it well. Oh, dude, so, that's awesome. It was funny, actually, because that whole thing, that whole period <laughs> was the time where, like, for example, at the school, I normally didn't go to any of the school dances or whatever. That year, I took two girls to the school dance. I had a huge <laughs> party at my house. Like, the apex that was that period of time in my life, I should have exploited it. I should have used it for, for wild sex and drugs. I was just way too straight-laced at that period of time. <laughs> But sadly, no, two girls to the formal at the end of the year. And yes, a year of, uh, yeah, being well known at least for this particular rap. The funny thing is that the rap actually echoed through <laughs> other schools. By the time I got to university, I think I met people that said, you're the guy that did that election rap two years later. <laughs> yeah. So it did have echoes and ripples through, uh, yeah, Canberra. Excellent. 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 <laughs> I wanted to give a movie review associated with The Station Agent. I can't think... It might have been Dave Smith who recommended that I watch The Station Agent. I've watched it three times. I think it's probably Bobby Carnival's best acting ever. It's a very strange film, but there are a few things that I think probably should be pointed out. Firstly, model rail folk, or rail folk in general, never walk on train tracks. Like The whole part of the film of the train tracks just doesn't happen. It's a series of really quite interesting cliches model railroaders as they're portrayed in the film is relatively accurate aside from the working on train tracks but yeah it's a series of i don't know just cliched characters coming together in a film kind of feel good at the end of it i don't know it wasn't particularly offensive but it's not going to be a movie recommendation of the week 
Excellent. I wanted to talk a little bit about the Australian drinking culture, which you've been exposed to through Lee Webb. <laughs> this came up in conversation. I found one of my co-workers was not a closet Australian, but someone who holds an Australian passport, but only ever lived in Australia for a couple of years, but went to Australia to work. Australia has a drinking culture, which is really difficult for people outside of Australia to understand. But imagine this, for example. Typically, on a Friday, you start drinking at about, and this is in a job. This is literally you go to work and you start drinking typically at about 10.30 to 11 a.m. And you work through alcohol to the point where maybe about 5.30, you're onto the heavier spirits. And this goes week after week after week after week after week. And the drinking culture in Australia is so profound that you don't even need Friday to be the day. I mean, my favourite example of this was a guy who came out of alcohol detox. And I was the guy who passed him his first beer to start the celebration for him getting out of alcohol detox. The Australian drinking culture <laughs> is so extreme that it really... Like, for example, we used to fly Americans in. And obviously, this fellow at work is he's Canadian-American, but, you know... <laughs> These people would be legless by before even lunchtime. And then you try to explain to them, no, it was actually going to continue on for at least another 12 hours. <laughs> so my understanding is that Lee Webb portrays some of this drinking culture, but just maybe not as extreme as the actual on-location Australian experience. What, what insights have you had into Australian drinking culture, Brandon? Oh, well, they throw this like huge Australia Day party every year, um, or at least they did. And um, when is Australia independence? It's sometime in January, isn't it? January 26th. Yeah, okay, the 26th. So they, they definitely do that. And then like everything is um, everything is related. Uh, everything revolves, I should say, around drinking. Like mm. everything, every event you do, all the sporting events, there's like severe drinking afterwards. And uh yeah, and like uh, Lee doesn't drink anymore mm. um, at all, but uh, he hasn't for a while. I want to say like ten years, maybe. Okay. But he did, um, maybe maybe less than that. But uh, yeah, there's some heavy drinking going on there. I remember he was like telling the story about how like his rugby team played another rugby team, and and you know no matter what happens on the field, they go and drink mm. afterwards together. And he hated this. I don't know what like university it was, but he ha hated them. To this day, he hated them because they wouldn't drink with with them after the game. Mm. <laughs> it was like, yeah, I don't a, know. Yeah, that's a remarkable. Uh, yeah, I've never heard of Australian hostility, which stops people from drinking together. I mean, that that must be some pretty extreme hostility because <laughs> that makes yeah. no sense to me. Anyway. Yeah. Yes. Do you do I, uh, today, Brandon? No, but I have to cut us off. Oh, I will have to be going rather oh, abruptly. Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, I wish we could do a midweek podcast. That would be excellent. Mm. Uh, midweek music podcast. I don't know. Just a thought. <laughs> Let us do what we can do. Brandon, it's always a pleasure. It's 91 degrees in here, so I'm probably about to fall over anyway. We'll talk next time we talk. Always Hydrate quick. yourself. Yeah. Definitely. I'll see you, Tom. Take care. Well, I get up on the blue ship. What do you want to do?